Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome to another GeoMob podcast. Uh, This evening, and it is evening for me in London, it's lunchtime in California for Michelle, and it's late afternoon in Michigan for Kate. So lunchtime this afternoon, this evening, um, across the globe, I'm talking to Michelle Tobias and Kate Berg about what's become a little bit of a phenomenon in the GIS world, uh, something called GIS Chat, which those of you who are geo-Twitterati may know about. And if you don't know about it, you will do by the end of this evening's chat. So Kate is the GIS lead at the Michigan Department of Environment. Um, And she also was named as one of XYHT magazine's 22 young geospatial pros to watch in 22. So that's 22 professionals to watch in 22, and she's one of them. So that's great. And welcome, Kate. Um, Michelle is a geospatial data scientist at the University of California Davis Data Lab, in Davis, California, um, and she's also a member of the OSGEO Foundation Board of Directors. Uh, congratulations for that, Michelle, and well done for standing up to do it. Um, and I'm not going to say any more about them. I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. So, Kate, you first. Just say a little bit about yourself and how you got to be in GEO. Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having us on, Stephen. It's great to chat with you. Um, So GIS for me was definitely not plan A, and it definitely wasn't plan B, and it almost wasn't plan C. Uh, It's been a long journey to get here. Uh, I went to college uh, to study ecology. I thought I wanted to be a scientist, Um, and then I did field work, and I hated it. So then plan C was, uh, well, what do I do? I like the environment. I like communication. Let's try and go into something um, like that. So I was a park ranger and did interpretive uh, talks um, in Sequoia National Park. And I also worked at a zoo doing that. And I did my master's in environmental communication. And I still wasn't, you know, satisfied with that. And uh, while I was completing my master's, I, uh, well, Going back, I did a GIS minor. I thought it might be a good thing to do along the way. Um, But I didn't really, you know, think seriously about it. And then uh, while I was doing my master's, I taught it. And I really just enjoy getting other people excited about GIS, you know. Um, Getting these students interested and and learning about it. And uh, that's when I knew that's what I wanted to do is uh, when I was teaching it. And so for the past couple of years, I've been in GIS uh, in both private and public industry. Um, and, and I love it. Great. And Michelle, what about you? So I, I really, my first introduction to GIS was um, in undergrad. I was a geography major at UCLA and um, they had this class. It was like the first or second time they're teaching GIS in, with a graphical tool. So I started with like ARC 3.2, which makes me a dinosaur, I think, <laughs> at this point. Um, but so I took this class and it was like, oh, this GIS thing is like a fad. You know, it's it's the, the hot topic now, but it, it won't be around for that 
much longer. And so I took the class and was like, this could be really powerful. Like, even though we did a lot of real estate examples, like as someone who's interested in, in the environment too, um, I was like, oh, I could see how this could be really useful. And so I just kind of kept picking up stuff. And after undergrad, I worked in the environmental field for a while, um, for a year doing environmental education and also working in uh, field work, which I, I actually liked, Kate. So <laughs> I, again, I did like snorkel surveys, like for trout in LA. Um, and like the, the concept of how to map that stuff was just fascinating. So when I went to do my master's, I really wanted to specialize in, uh, in geospatial tools for environmental things and sort of working in the coastal in coastal California, looking at um, shorebird habitat. And then kind of when I went to do my PhD, I kind of stayed in that same vein and I'm really a botanist at heart. So I started using it for looking at California beach plants and how can we map them and understand how they relate to each other and how that changes over time and how people interact with that and being able to map that and put that on a map and see things, um, you know, how things are different over space and time was just so fascinating to me. Um, so that's kind of how I got into it. Um, I'm also in, like, when I'm not at work, I'm an artist. So the visual component to this is also really interesting to me and how you communicate these things has always been really powerful to me. And I just really enjoy that kind of everything together in one place. Like, let's do everything. It's math, it's science, it's art. Um, my brain loves all of that. So that's kind of how I got into this and, and what's keeping me here. I, I forgot that we were both Bruins. Let's, yeah. let's have a little go Bruins. Yeah. <laughs> we won't do the so though. This is, a, <laughs> this is a treat for me because normally I talk to people who develop apps and they say, I'm not really a geographer, you know, I'm an app developer or I'm a this or I'm a that. But today I've got two GIS geeks on on the line with me. So it's a little bit of a treat and we will understand each other even better. I'm so, a card-carrying geographer. I have two degrees in geography, so... <laughs> right. Okay. You're my kind of woman. Um, don't tell my wife. So... Michelle, I know you didn't actually start Gist Chat, mm -hmm. but you were there near the beginning, I believe. And um, for the benefit of the people listening to us this evening, just explain what Gist Chat is and how it started. Yeah, so it it's like at its heart, it's just a hashtag on Twitter. Like anyone can use this hashtag anytime on any tweet. There are... There's no restrictions on that. Um, but what we do is once a week, we have an hour where um, for me, it's Wednesdays at noon. Um, and what, what normally happens is whoever's the host asks a couple questions to get the discussion going. Everyone who's replying to the conversation uses the hashtag so that we can all talk together. And we just do that for an hour. And then in reality, what happens is that conversation continues for the next two or three days um, as people catch up and, you know, people in different time zones see the messages. And it's just that simple. It's it's an hour that's planned for discussion. Um, but yeah. So that's one o'clock California time. Yes. Which is four o'clock East Coast time. Is noon West Coast time and oh, 3 p.m. No, you're okay. right. It is noon. I'm looking at my calendar now. I I have decided that um, uh, time zones are the projections of of time. So yeah. <laughs> like, hurts my brain. Yes, it's noon in California. Um, okay, so it's I was like, have yeah. I been ruining this whole 
Just no, no, like no, you're doing it right. I'm doing it wrong. <laughs> so it's noon yeah. California. Yes. Three o'clock East Coast. Yes. And that is eight o'clock London. Yeah. Good job. Good math, Stephen. Right. And nine o'clock in um, Barcelona or Munich, Central Europe. Okay, right. So all those people listening, you now just need to get your time calculators out and uh, zone in to the right time zone. But we'll. What I want to do is kind of do a a map challenge and have people map the time zones of what time GIS chat is so we can all be on the same page and we have one map that we can look at. Great. Maybe do a map contest. Maybe that's in the future. Okay, but in the meantime, we can put those times into um, into the show notes so that anyone who wants to find out what time it is. And that's on a Wednesday. Okay, so, Kate, how did you get involved? Um, and you've recently taken over as the sort of convener of this, whatever that actually involves. How did you get involved and what does being the convener mean? Yeah, so I, I've been involved uh, back when it wasn't called GIS Chat. Uh, it was called GIS Tribe. Right, um, I remember that. Yeah, that was pre-2018, and then we changed the name um, to GIS Chat. So I've been involved for a couple years now. Um, I started mainly because my, my first couple jobs in GIS, I was the only person doing GIS. I was kind of alone or one of the only, and um, I always kind of felt left out, and then I found this community on Twitter, and first of all, it kind of started as like an alternative to Google. I could reach out to people if I had a question how to do something, because I didn't have my own mentors, you know, Um, and then it just kind of became a great conversation, a way to chat with other like-minded people that I didn't have in my life, Um, and so I've been involved for couple years now and the past couple of years I've kind of been more involved um I don't want to say that I've been taking the limelight from Michelle but I've been asking questions um when I wasn't the host um and then Michelle reached out to me what a couple couple months now um and was like would you like to take this over? Maybe, maybe Michelle can uh, spread some light on to why you wanted to retire. But I love the way she phrased it. She was like, it was some Doctor Who reference. Like, do you want to take... <laughs> oh, regenerate as the new doctor. Yeah, yeah, basically I'm the new doctor. I'm the, I'm the new GIS chat host. <laughs> Just kind of gets passed around. Yeah, I came to it in a, in a very similar way. So, like, this started Emily Garding started it in 2014 and then at some point Nathan Saylor took over when Emily kind of needed to step away and then I was I asked a lot of questions sort of off off script too and then um one day Nathan didn't show up for to host and I was like oh no it's it's not happening and I need that connection because I also am usually the only GIS person so I was like well I'm just gonna ask questions and then after a while Nathan direct message me I was like hey so you want to be the official person and I was like okay <laughs> so it, it is it's kind of like doctor who like one doctor retires and then the next doctor just appears and we carry on so um so that, that's just but you're all the story. same doctor really <laughs> yeah, yeah we don't have any cool screwdrivers no. uh, <laughs> to make things happen for us though this is a first for the GMO podcast that we've got doctor who in here and I'm delighted because <laughs> I'm a 
I'm a big fan. Um, and actually, it just occurs to me as somebody who does uh, freelance consult in the GI space, um, it, this is a great thing to have a you know for all the freelancers, um, and particularly the last couple of years with lockdown and working from home and working remotely. This is a great way to maintain some sense of community and interaction with people. Well done to you guys for doing this. Um, I think the community really should say thank you to you. So how many people do you think are participating in Gist Chat? Well, I'm glad you asked that, Stephen, because I did a little bit of analysis before this. Okay, um, good, I found good. these hashtag trackers. Uh, you have to pay a ton of money to get a lot of data, but you can get an idea of the past uh, week or so. Right. And so in the past seven days, we've had uh, over 400 mentions of GIS chat, um, almost 7,000 interactions, and our reach is 966K. So I don't know if that's typical. I just pulled this up really quick before this because I was curious. Um, but that sounds pretty numbers. cool to me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It seems pretty accurate, too, because when you type in on Twitter and you type GIS chat in there, it kind of tells you if it's trending or not. I, yeah. I think that's what that is. And so it'll say like 300 underneath it, um, at least mm. this week. So I think that means that like 300 people are talking about this topic. That's um, pretty cool. It's that's pretty, pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, what, Michelle, what kind of topics do you talk about? It could, it really, it's a huge variety. I think that's why people enjoy it because we kind of talk about anything that's related even tangentially to geo in general. So like, um, I guess some of the popular topics, at least when I was hosting was um, career advice is always popular. Um, pet peeves. We like to talk about what annoys us. Um, it's nice to get that off your chest. <laughs> the easiest uh, way to get yeah. likes is to say how yeah. hard it is to describe your job and what GIS yeah. is. Um, one, one, really <laughs> one really popular one was we did a post-it note challenge where you got a post-it note and you drew a map of anything and then posted the picture. That was fun. Um, and then one, another really popular one was describing your workday in emojis. So anything that gets people's <laughs> right. creative juices going or is career advice seems to be really popular and goes on for weeks. <laughs> yeah, I like particularly yeah, that because um, some of the questions that I've asked have been creative types like that. So like, what's your favorite map that you found in a movie or what are, I think Michelle, you started this uh, geospatial movie puns. So we got like breakfast at Tiff and Oh, and America's <laughs> Next Top Model Builder and things like that. <laughs> Oh, they were so good. So yeah. GIS Chat's great for some bad puns. Yeah, and I saw, I think last week, Kate, you asked, um, if you hadn't gone into GIS, what would GIS, what would you have done? And um, yeah, a few old guys like me and a couple of others all wanted to be rock stars if we weren't going to be GIS yeah, people, people which is sad. Them. That's pretty sad, but never mind. Um, so... Um, are there any are there any rules? No rules. Like Michelle said, we have a date and time, but um, it's kind of fluid. That's that's when I post and start the conversation. But people are using it all week, um, and and that's what I found really helpful in the beginning. There, when I had questions, I it could be a Friday morning, and I had a question, um, and people would respond by the end of the day, and I got that problem fixed. And another cool thing is that. Um, 
like oh people are involved in this and and people like at esri are watching this so for example i posted to gis <laughs> chat about a thing that was really annoying to me in arcgis pro um and the definition queries like when a definition query is selected uh, it's it's kind of hard to tell if it is or isn't. And so I ranted about this to GIS chat, and people agreed. And then Esri implemented it a year later. Wow. So That's it's pretty cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. Of course, if you've been using QGIS, you could have got that done in three months. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah. another very popular thing to do is, is a contest between QGIS and ArcGIS. No yeah. contest anymore. No contest. <laughs> I, I, I try uh, to stay out of those discussions because it, yeah. it never makes me happy to have that competition. Nah. So. Nah. Um, I think one of the nice, the great things about Gist Chat is even if you can't join in in the, the hour that it's so-called live, the nature of Twitter makes it asynchronous. So there's nothing to stop you, you know, picking it up on Thursday morning when you've got a spare hour following the thread and then posting back a couple of comments and other people will still be picking up on that through the week, which is a great thing. You know, it's, um, it really does work well. I'm impressed. So, um, there must be some amusing things that have happened and there must be some successes or achievements apart from getting Esri to incorporate a feature for you. What else has happened on just chat that you're particularly proud of? For me, it's, it's the connections, honestly. Like, you think, you know, you hear, like, oh, Twitter is this awful place where people just yell at each other. But, like, I've made some honest-to-goodness real-life connections with people that I now consider colleagues. Like, I have made, like, you know, the uh, QGS North America conference happened because of Twitter connections. Um, you know, a lot of which I made through people who participated in GIS chat. And um, like I've made connections with folks who were interested in learning new skills and I was able to say, oh, well, you know, I have this long running data creation project. You might want to think about participating in that. It's, you know, a community thing. And so um, this one person in particular joined us, contributed data, and then was able to leverage that to get a new job. So like those are the kinds of things that I think make it a really cool place. Like you think, oh, these are just online people. It's just digital spaces aren't real but you can actually make real life connections with real life people and then have them become colleagues and you can work on stuff together and kind of like make the world a better place. You know, I think it's really awesome. Yeah. A mappier place. (laughs) For sure. This is the first time I met Michelle. Yeah. In person. (laughs) Virtually. And uh, I feel like I've known her for years. You know, it's, it's exactly like that. It's a really cool community. Um, one of the other cool stats that I got when I pulled up the analyses for this is kind of the tone of the messages. Um, overwhelmingly, it's positive. There's no negative. Some of them are neutral, but it's overwhelmingly positive. It's just a community that's excited about this topic um, and also uplifting. You know, we're always rooting for each other. There's no one bringing anyone down. So it, it's just a really great community. Um one of the, the coolest things that the community did and came together to do was um, we had a we had a logo contest a couple of years uh, time what is time I know twenty <laughs> uh, twenty like early twenty twenty I think we were and, still working in person when we did yeah. that so it was pre pandemic <laughs> oh gosh yeah that explains why I forgot what when it was yeah. Um, 
So we had a logo contest, and we opened it up, and we had, um, I don't know, what, like 30 people submit really cool logos just for GIS chat, like the idea of this group and this community. And we had voting and things like that, and it, it was just a really cool way that the community all came together to get involved. And, um, I mean, you said something just then that caught my attention, Kate, because you said um, that there's virtually no negative stuff in this. And um, I was going to ask you before um, whether there was a code of conduct, because um, it seems that particularly in open communities, we're pretty obsessed with codes, codes of conduct. But it sounds like you don't have a code of conduct. There are no rules, and yet there are no trolls. There's trolls. It happens. <laughs> I, I think the community is, is fairly self-policing, but also at its heart, it's just a hashtag. So we can't really regulate how people use the hashtag. Like, for example, there was a, um, a golf conference or a golf expo that decided that they were going to use GIS chat because it was like the golf something something chat. And so right. one for like Golf International weeks, Society. Yeah, there we were we were inundated with golf information. <laughs> it was like right. what can we do? It's it's just a hashtag. So if, if people want to get on and be mean, I think they'll probably people will tell them to stop it, but they could do it. There's nothing we can do about regulating, you know, a hashtag beyond the Twitter code of conduct, which is, you know, a little suspect anyway. So Right. Okay. So it works. It works. It um, just works. Yeah. So. And, and now if, we just jinxed it. Uh, right. Nah, yeah, yeah, There, there yeah. have been some tough times, I will say, but yeah. um, mostly the community is, I mean, GIS people are generally good, right? Like we often, we help each other way more than any other discipline that I am a part of. Like generally I expect, you know, good things of people who do GIS. So I think that's why this works. It's just how our industry is. Right. And I, I think a big majority of the people that are doing GIS chat are part of the open source camp. And you don't you don't get into open source if you're not, you know, believe in it uh, and, and think that it's a good thing to contribute your time to do something. Have like you that. have you ever subscribed to the OpenStreetMap mailing lists? Because <laughs> no, stay I'm clear. Totally, I'm totally wrong. Okay, well, no, you're not. You're not, you're not, Kate, you're not totally wrong, by far from it. But um, sometimes, um, and it happens much more on the OpenStreetMap mailing list than it does on the OSGO mailing list. Um, uh, you know, they do seem to get very heated and quite extreme. But I think in general, I agree with you in that idea that, in principle, the people who get involved in open communities want to work together um, they're minded to be nice to each other. And, uh, yeah, I've been involved with OSGO now for nearly 10 years. And I can count on less than the fingers of one hand the times that I've ever had an exchange with anybody that's been ill-tempered. Um, it's a nice community. So if I remember correctly, I think it was Kate, but I might be wrong here. One of you mentioned to me that there's a... Twitter bot that retweets all the gist chat um, yeah, hashtags. Yeah, so this was this. Is, I don't know when this. I can't remember when this happened. Um, but two awesome guys from Nigeria 
and I, I can't remember their names, but we'll put we'll put the link in the in the um, description. Sure but they made a bot that will retweet all of the GIS chat tweets. Um, so you can follow them, and if you don't want to like click on the hashtag and and follow the thread, you can get the tweets in your in your um, timeline. And actually, for lots of people, that's a really cool thing because if you the the chat bot is called um, GIS chatbot, and um, and the cool thing about that is that you don't have to be online at the right. Remember to be online at the right time because if you just glance at your your timeline, you'll see these tweets start appearing in your timeline. So that's a really useful one for people who might have forgotten about it. So well done to those guys. And you, I was going to ask you, um, we've talked about some of the things. So there's, no, there's no restrictions to join in. Anybody who wants to join in, just get in there on a Wednesday afternoon, Wednesday evening, depending where you are in the world. Um, well, you have, so, have a Twitter. But I've seen yeah. it kind of spreading to other social media. People on Instagram are using it and LinkedIn and things like that. But the main place is Twitter. So the restriction is having a, a handle. <laughs> right. Okay. That's fair enough. That counts most of our listeners in. I don't think there are many people who are listening to this podcast who don't have a Twitter account. Um, so, Kate, you also mentioned to me something called Mappy Meme. And... That's dear to my heart because um, I'm not sure whether you you ladies know, but I run a, a website called Mappery, um, and we publish about four or five times a week um, something that we call a map in the wild. And so they're all pictures of maps taken, um, you know, that people take on the side of trucks, on the side of buildings, in furniture, in art in all sorts of strange places where people see maps. Um, so what's Mappy Meme? Uh, Mappy Meme is something that I, I'm, it's, it's my baby. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know if I created it or where it came from, um, but I started doing it, I think, in the, like, the last year or so. It's just a way to kind of make something fun. Um, I, I started it when I was teaching um, undergrad classes as a way to kind of connect with my students. Um, so making these funny pictures that have a joke with G something mappy related in it. Um, and it kind of has started taking off on Twitter. Uh, it's just a great way. It kind of goes back to that idea of GIS chat, right? Um, as a, it's a community and people are being connected and they feel like they belong because people are relating to these memes. That's kind of the idea of a meme is it's like this concept that everyone kind of can relate to. Um, so people from all over the world have reached out to me to say how much the memes have made their day, made them laugh, but also teachers all over the world are using it to connect with their students and be able to um, communicate topics and ideas to their students in ways that they weren't able to before like the idea of metadata and how it's really important but also it's really hard to do and people don't really like doing it at all and so we have some memes about that and um, I'm really grateful and happy to see that I'm not the only one making these anymore it started a lot more people are starting to use the hashtag and uh, and share them so if I search hashtag mappy meme I'm going to find some of your stuff, am I? You will. You uh, will. Can you describe one on? I can. Let's see. My 
most popular mappy meme was a play on um, kind of texting lingo. And there's this meme of, is your child talking of texting about X? And a way for parents to kind of figure out what these acronyms mean. So like LOL means laugh out loud, but you take it and you, and you kind of adjust the meme to your topic. So is your child texting about GIS? And I put LOL means latitude or longitude. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> FML means friggin' maintenance license. Uh, STFU, shit, the files are unprojected. Things like that. <laughs> okay, I've got it. Okay. So <laughs> that's another one that I think we need to put in the show notes so that people can enjoy that. Yes, um, well, I have this great suggestion. Um, about have you had juliana on your show i feel like you should have juliana on your show if you haven't i'll, I'll give you her contact um but she okay. has done a lot of things um with with um mentoring people and getting people excited about gis and one of the things she suggested is having my mappy memes on my website um or my portfolio and i thought this is silly memes are just silly um, but I, I think they not only show that I kind of have this skill, like I understand the topic so well that I can make a meme, um, but it, it, it's making a difference in the community. I'm seeing this connection and this belonging that people are experiencing by seeing, oh, wow, I'm not alone. I, I feel the same way. I've experienced that same thing, you know? So um, in 2018, when Phosphagy was in Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, Kenfield and I met up in Dar a few days before the conference. and We went on safari for a few days together, you know, to get a bit of vacation before the work started. And we came out of one of the um, game reserves in, in the Serengeti in Tanzania. And we came into this wilderness. It's called the Ngorogoro Wilderness. And when we came into this wilderness, for as far as you could see, there was nothing, just the odd rock and scrub. But right in front of us on the road coming out of the game reserve was this enormous stone monolith about 10, 12 feet high. And on it was painted a map of the wilderness that we were just about to drive through, showing the little things that occurred in the wilderness. And Ken Field, who, um, who worked for Esri, um, he still works for Esri. He looked at this map and he said, that map was made with such and such a version of ArcGIS because he could tell from the fonts that they used what version of ArcGIS it was. Anyway, so we took pictures of, or, or the guide who was driving us on this safari took pictures of us standing next to this map on this great big monolith in this wilderness. And that became the beginning of the Maps in the Wild website that we started uh, when we got back from that. And, you know, that's been going now for over three years, published well over a thousand Maps in the Wild. So it's amazing how you start one of these things, like your Mappy Means, and a couple of years later you realise that you've got thousands of people looking at them every single week. You know, it's amazing. So Well, I, I'm worried that all my memes have been made. I'm, I'm losing... Uh, my creativity, like, is is there anything more to make a meme about? There's always more. There's always more, I promise you. As I so, 
kind of more into being a manager. You know, I'm using the GIS software less and less, and I'm really I'm losing my touch to the common folk. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. So we always we try to ask our um, our guests if they've got a map related pastime when they're not working. Michelle, do you have a map related pastime? Well, <laughs> this might seem or geo really. Uh, well, it might seem slightly unrelated, but um, I actually, when I'm not at work, I dance in a professional dance company. And the skill that I have in understanding spatial relationships on stage is so helpful. Like, I am one of the only people in my company that can be like, if we do this, we will fall off the stage because of the direction that this is going to take us. Or if we do it this way, we're going to crash into each other or, you know, like things like that. Um, so it may not seem like as a contemporary dancer, I would need spatial skills, but it comes in incredibly handy in terms of like learning choreography and positioning myself on stage and making sure I'm in the right place. And then also understanding how everyone else is going to be moving around me. I have that like map vision in my head, <laughs> what the space is going to look like. Um, so that's, it sort of seems like maybe it isn't related to maps, but it totally is. Have you ever thought of putting tracking devices on all your your dancers and sort of taking all those tracks and then doing a time-lapse map of them? Yeah, I have. I've actually drawn out, like, um, when I was trying to understand a particularly complex movement on stage, we had these giant, they essentially were refrigerator boxes that we had covered in paper, and they moved across the stage in very intricate patterns. And so I actually mapped out on a piece of paper where my box was moving and where I was moving in relation to other things. And it looked like spaghetti by the time I was done, but like it really helped me to understand how that worked. And um, I also, I for a while was working on a comic called MT Maps, and I've done some mapping of like stage stuff and behind the, the scenes, like what backstage looks like and the chaos that that is so that's um you know it kind of i think my brain is always thinking of maps regardless so it all kind of plays together do they have north arrows on them your maps oh no because <laughs> it, it doesn't matter which way is north it matters which way Are you is saying right that left. every map doesn't need to have a north arrow oh god i i often say most maps don't need north arrows to be honest absolutely maps people don't gonna, need north arrows <laughs> people are gonna come at me <laughs> Chat, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a, it's only a 16th century convention that we started to all put maps uh, with north at the top. So, uh, you know, for thousands of years before, people didn't have, um, didn't always have north facing maps. So we can go back to that. Um, what about you, Kate? What do you do uh, when you're not mapping? Um, in my free time, I uh, like to scuba dive. I am an avid scuba diver, and here in Michigan, a lot of people are like, what? Can you even scuba dive there? But the Great Lakes have a lot of shipwrecks, which is really cool. But uh, involved in that is underwater navigation. Uh, yep. You have your compass on your dive computer, and you have to, you know, not get lost. You have to remember how to get back to the boat. Yeah. Um, and taking underwater navigation as a as a scuba class is really exciting because um they put a towel over your head you have your dive partner you hold hands with them they don't have a towel over their head you have a towel over your head and you have to above land navigate that that's like the start of the class is teaching you how to navigate above land um and, and then you get into the water and then you do it but you're on land walking around with it like 
a ghost on Halloween with a towel over your head and you're trying to use your <laughs> dive computer to navigate on land. Um, it, it's hilarious and pretty hard, actually. <laughs> okay, cool. So uh, both of you got a bit of geospatial in your pastimes. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have to say, and it sort of goes back to what Michelle was talking about, um, I'm a big... Um, football fan in England and uh, you'd call it soccer ladies over there Um, and for years years ago I thought you know if you had a little GPS chip on each of the football players then you could track how they moved around the pitch what speed they were running and all of these sorts of things and it all sounded like you know I'm talking about you know 20 years ago now uh, 20 years ago, this was science fiction and you couldn't do it. And now people are doing this all the time, you know, and every single football team in in sort of professional football now has got these little devices on players tracking how fast they run, how far they run um, and all of that so that they can analyse the games afterwards. And in fact, um, I don't know whether you saw it. Um, I'm guessing, Michelle, you were at Phosphor G, um, the big Phosphor G that we had coming out of Buenos Aires this summer. Um, Yeah, and my highlight talk was um, this guy had um, used QGIS to do a complete analysis of the movement of players um, on on the football pitch and uh, analysing which was the, you know, their different movements and how different players ran in different directions. It was brilliant, you know, and he was getting all these statistics from the statistics companies and then mapping them and it was just yeah for me if you could get QGIS and football into a conference talk that was pretty much the perfect thing so ladies it's been great it's been great I knew that we were going to run over I said to you before we started that we wouldn't get finished on time and we haven't but it's been fabulous so let me say thank you very much Michelle thank you Kate it's been a pleasure having you on the GMR podcast to our listeners you really want to get to start following hash GIS chat. If you want, the Twitter account is GIS chat bot, all one word. They're all in the show notes. You'll also see details of how to contact Kate and Michelle on there if you want to chat to them offline about this stuff. Ladies, it's been my pleasure. Thanks very much. Good night. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks. This has been fun. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any um, suggestions for topics that we should uh, cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. Um, you can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is Geomob. Um, you can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. Um, you can check out Mappery at Mappery.org. And, of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is OpenCageData.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode and, of course, seeing you at a future Geomob event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.